The next section we're going to be in, how big is your view of prayer? Now, are you getting a little bit of a theme here in all these Ephesians passages? Hey, I'll, let me refresh your memory for a moment. Let's, let's think back. The very first slide we had, how big is your view of God? And, and I, I, believe, I, I believe that this is kind of the, the, the whole, this kind of encompasses the whole book of Ephesians. How big is your view of God? Asking that question. We have a big God. How big is your view of God? When you think about God and what God has done and what He's doing and what He's done in the past and what He's doing in the future and how He exists, when you think about God, you have a big view of God. How big is your view of God? You can't read Ephesians without starting to think that way. And so we kind of kept that theme through verses 1 all the way down to verse 14 of chapter 1. Remember that was all one big long sentence? Chapter 1, the rest of the chapter, verses 15 to 23, was another long sentence. Now, I know in your Bible it's not a long sentence, but when Paul wrote it, it was one big long sentence. He was kind of elaborating a little bit. And I had the theme for that second one was how big, of you, how big is your view of God's church? I don't have that slide. I didn't really like that. It, it didn't come out very well anyway. So, uh, But it was how big is your view of God's church? And then we got to the end of chapter 1 and we hit on chapter 2. And chapter 2 is I had, well, how big is your view of God's salvation? Because chapter 2 talks about what God did in saving you. Right? And he wasn't talking about the cross and the big scope of salvation. He was talking about as an individual... Do you know, realize what God did when He saves someone? Do you realize what He does? And so we talked about verses uh, two all the way down. Or, or, I'm sorry, chapter two, verses one down to verse uh, ten. And then we got to verse eleven, and we made it all the way through the end of that one, still with the same theme. And so all of chapter two is how big is your view of God's salvation? And it went from individually to big picture what God is doing. And then we hit chapter three. In chapter three, I called it "How big is your view of God's?" Uh, or "How big is your view of the gospel?" Or I could have called it "How big is your view of God's gospel?" But "How big is your view of the gospel?" And I know that's, that one's a little bit harder to see. It's down there at the bottom. But that was kind of the theme for chapter three, verses one through uh, thirteen. And we really only talk about two basic things in there because there's a lot of this stuff that Paul's kind of elaborating more and more on. And there's still some things coming up that we're going to have to come back and look at again later. So I just picked two things, and we, we looked at that part. Uh, it has to do with the gospel message and what the gospel is about, the good news of God. And, 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 and do you look at the gospel, when you think of the gospel, do you think, wow, that's big, right? The truth is, a lot of us, and I'll be the first to step in the front of this line to say, when I think about the gospel, I don't think, wow, that's big, right? I don't have that kind of reaction. Maybe you do. I usually don't. When I think about the church and what God's doing and the gospel... Now, sometimes I think about God, what God has done. I think, wow, that's big. But when I think about the gospel, I mean, sometimes it's, it's almost routine, regular. I've heard it so often. Yes, Jesus Christ came down on the cross. I've heard it so often. And I don't, I don't sit there and think about the cross and go, that's, that's amazing. I don't have that kind of reaction. So as we dig into this last section, I, I wanted to try to think of a way to kind of foster that reaction in something different, right, and, and, and play it out. So, I thought, what is something big 
and powerful. Because what God did in the gospel was big and it was powerful and it was amazing. It was glorious. It was bright. It was radiant what God did in Christ in the gospel. And this is what Paul's been talking about. And so one of the things I thought of was um, a nuclear explosion. They estimate that at the center of that explosion, right at the epicenter of that explosion, the temperature reaches in the millions of degrees. If you look directly at a nuclear explosion when it goes off, you can seriously injure your eyes. And so you'll see those old videos back in the day when they were first doing this kind of stuff, right? Out in the desert, right? And they put the, the sunglasses on, the shades on. They're looking at this thing. It's so bright. That's a big explosion. You see down here at the bottom... Oh, hey, I'm going to use my laser pointer. See down here at the bottom? See that? See the trees? And there's a radio tower. You can barely see it. But they say right in the middle, millions of degrees, big explosion. Right? Powerful. Nuclear reaction. April the 16th, just last week, there was an explosion that would make this one look like dropping a pebble into a lake. Right? If that. I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating there. Maybe it's even smaller than that. There was an explosion on April the 16th that would have made this look pitiful nothing. Right? April the 16th, on what, from our perspective, the left side of the sun, there was a solar flare. You ever seen pictures of solar flares? It looks like a big loop sometimes when they take pictures of it. But we have a, we have a uh, satellite out over the earth right now that what it does is it watches the sun and it's got filters and things on it because, I mean, you couldn't go outside and look at the sun. I mean, if you try, it hurts, doesn't it? Have you ever kind of looked at the sun? Like, Ow. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't look directly at the sun because it hurts. I mean, think about that already. 93 million miles away the sun is. I mean, now, if you, you ever seen a fire, like a little campfire? I mean, you, the closer you get, the hotter it gets, right? I mean, and you can see, you get a big fire going, you're like, man, that's hot. You can't barely get close to it. But the sun is 93 million miles away, but yet you can go outside and feel its heat. That's amazing, isn't it? So the sun's big. It's powerful. But on the side of the sun, there's an explosion. So we got this uh, satellite, and it's watching the sun, and it caught this on camera, this explosion, right? This solar flare blew out on the side of the sun. Fortunately, it wasn't directed at us, um, you know, hitting, hitting our planet, the, the stuff. Because, and when you watch this, I'm going to show this to you. When you watch it, you can actually, one of the filters, uh, you know, one of them is more like basically like really, really powerful sunglasses. So you can just kind of see what it looks like. But then one of them uses a different kind of filter and it filters out certain kinds of rays. And you actually see out of this explosion, there's sun material being shot out of this thing. Right, actual substance is coming out of it. So I'm, I'm going to show this to you. Now I just want you to watch it. Now the first picture is going to show the sun, and it's going to be on the left-hand side. Okay, so here's a, it's getting ready to set up. This is a NASA video. Uh, right where that dot is, where it's going to happen. You see that? Watch it. It's going to show it a little bit closer. The next, this is my favorite. Slow, a little bit slow motion. Now, I know some of you are going, that wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be, was it? Sometimes things like this, you've got to really think about um, the magnitude of what we're talking about. Okay? You've got to think about the magnitude. Of, we've got to really think about this. Because sometimes see, you see something like this, and that was big and powerful, but you didn't have a, like, wow, feeling. So, so let's 
put you into perspective on the size of just this explosion. Not even the size of the sun. Let's just think about you in perspective to this. And so what I've got here is I've got a picture I'm going to show you. It's going to be this solar flare. And you're going to see right over here in the corner. I'm going to put it right there. I'm going to put the earth. Okay. Now, this is not an actual picture of the earth in the background. This is somebody took a picture of the earth and put it next to a picture of the sun so you can compare to get an idea of the size of this explosion. Okay. So we're going to put the earth right up there. There it is. You see it? Now, I want you to let yourself think about that for a minute. Now, do you see you? That, that nuclear explosion, would be, you wouldn't be able to see it from this point of view, would you? I, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if the planet is... Th- I mean, you, the, the whole planet could fit like right there. Did you see how fast the thing went out? I mean, that means that that explosion would have dwarfed our planet in literally a second across the whole globe. Go outside later this afternoon, find, if you can find a, high, a hill, you know, we're in Danville, so there's not many of those, but uh, find a high enough spot and look as far away as you can see. Right? That is barely, I mean, that, we wouldn't even be able to measure the distance that you could see from the highest hill on this scale. I mean, it would be like a dot. So we're talking about a massive explosion of power. Remember, this is through a filter, and so the the whole sun itself would be radiantly bright, and so you can imagine how bright that one spot is. It's radiance. It's power. Now, I want to ask you, because I know this isn't going to work for everybody, and I'm not trying to get an emotional response, but definitely, when you see that, I mean, you see the size of this thing, and you think about it compared to the earth, I mean, the fact that how big it is and how massive it is, did you have a little bit of a, that's big. That's bigger than I thought. And in fact, the more you think about it, if you really try to think about it, it gets bigger, doesn't it? Now, it's not any bigger than it was a minute ago when I first showed it to you, but the more you let yourself dwell on it, you go, man, that's big. This is what's going on with Paul the Apostle. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, says this, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now chapter 3 draws to a close with this amen before he moves on to something new. Traditionally, Jews, they would pray standing like this. Very traditional for a Jewish prayer to pray like this. 
There's some exceptions. Solomon, when Solomon, when the glory of God filled the temple, and the Bible talks about how the priests couldn't even enter the temple because of the radiance and the glory of God. That it talks about Solomon at that time when Solomon prayed. Solomon got on his knees and he knelt and got on his knees to pray. Paul does this in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The phrase for this reason or for this cause, uh, for this reason uh, or for this cause. I mean, have you ever been involved in a cause, something that is worth, like, man, if you find a really good cause to get behind, it can motivate you to action, can it? This is what Paul is saying. Now, in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said, Paul was talking about God and what he had done in eternity past, and Paul said, for this reason I pray and I thank God. And he, he had a prayer in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Paul prayed then. And then he gets back and he's talking more about God and what Christ has done and the workings of salvation and he's describing it. And then we get to chapter 3 and verse 1 and Paul says, For this reason or for this cause, I... And then he, and he gets caught up in a rabbit trail. He says, I, Paul... And he talks a little bit more about who he is and his part in the, in the gospel message. And then he gets to the very end of chapter 3 and he's talking about how we can enter in with boldness and confidence before the Father... And then he says, for this reason, for this cause, I bow my knees before the Father. And he's on his knees. I have to wonder if maybe Paul was writing this and he actually, before he wrote this portion, maybe he really did. Maybe he really did. He was describing these things and maybe he really did. He says, I just stopped and got on his knees before the Father and prayed this prayer. And then after he was done, maybe he, he got up and rewrote it. Or maybe he wrote this prayer and then really got on his knees. But we know that Paul did this. He saw, and for this reason, for this cause, the magnitude of God, the, the, the gloriousness of God, the radiance of God, and what God did in the gospel, in Jesus, because of that, Paul says, for this cause and for this reason, I'm on my knees. I have to think, first of all, if I were to give points, and I'm not going to put them up there today because I just want you to, to really soak these in. For this for this cause, we think about this. There's a, there's a prompt to pray. I mean, Paul is describing his motivation or his prompt to prayer. What prompted him to pray? And what you see is his descriptions and his thoughts about who is God. I have to ask, first of all, when you pray, what usually is the motivating cause when you pray? I think for a lot of us, it's very man Centered reasons, right? Something happens. I got sick and so I start praying. Or somebody else is sick and so suddenly I pray. I haven't prayed for a while and man, something happens. Or I need something. I want something. So I get on my knees and I start praying. Oh God, Lord, give me this. Right? Most of us, if we're honest, and once again, I'm going to say this a lot today, but if, if we're honest, many of us, and I, I'll get right at the front of the line, the thing that motivates us most to pray is when we want something. Right? When we want something. There's something that I want, and so I get on my knees to pray. But Paul, there was something different that motivated him. Now, does the Bible talk about praying for health? Yeah. Does the Bible talk about praying for a life to go well or a smooth journey of life and things to go well? Yeah. In fact, let me share with you one in particular, because if you, if you look through the Scriptures to find prayers... You very seldom see them praying for health and things like that. But it's not non-existent. But when you find them, you'll find that so often there's a connection to spiritual things at work. I found one this last week in 3 John, 
chapter 1, it says this. Uh, John is writing, and he says to the, the, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, and he's writing to this guy named Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And he, then he prays, so he says, he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. And some, some versions say that you will prosper. And the word literally is a word that means that you'll have a good journey of life. Right? He says, I pray that you'll have a good journey of life and, and that you may be in good health. And he uses this word as. Now this word as is kind of like a word that says, Okay, like I'm going to pray for this, and I want to show you what, how I want it to look. So I want you to have a prosperous journey and good health matched with, and guess what he says, uh, as it goes well with your soul. Literally, this is what John is praying. Now, imagine if I did this to you when you called me up. Say, hey, could you pray? I'm, I'm feeling kind of sick. Could you pray for me? Here's what John is doing. John's saying, I'm going to pray for Gaius. He says, Gaius, I'm praying for you that your physical health will match your spiritual health. I'm praying that you'll only be as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. Who wants me to start praying for you like that? Now, if you, if you understand the scripture, you, you're going to say, I don't like that, but yes. And that's what, that's what John did. John said, I'm going to pray for you, Gaius, that your physical health will match. Right? That's what the word as means in this case. It'll match, it'll be paired with, it'll be in the same way as your spiritual health. Maybe we should start praying like that for each other. God, help my physical health to be a matching or a, an example of what my spiritual health looks like. That's a tough one. But Paul, what was Paul motivated to pray by? Paul was motivated to pray because of what he saw about who is God and what God has done. And that motivated him to say, for this reason, for this cause, I pray. And so Paul's prompt for prayer was thinking about God, thinking big thoughts about God, contemplating Him, writing about Him, describing God, and it drove Him to His knees, which brings me to my second point, the position of prayer. You know, I know that a lot of times we, we think about actually getting on our knees and, and I know that, well, that's not literal. That's, you know, listen, I think it's maybe more literal than we give it credit for. I'm not going to say a lot about this idea of getting our knees other than this, to say this. When I, when I was reading this this week, I, I'm, I'll tell you the truth, I was cut deep by these words. I very, very seldom actually get down on my knees and pray to God and cry out to Him. I pray a lot and when I'm driving my car. I, I pray, I'm always praying to God. I catch myself a lot doing that but to actually stop everything I'm doing and get on my knees before the Father. I don't do that very often. Right? Bad knees set aside. I think that some of us don't get on our knees often enough. I know I don't. I want to encourage you already as we start thinking about what we can do from this. There's some things you could already say. There's a need to be actually on our knees. There's a, there's a position of prayer. It's not like, it, Paul's not giving a teaching here that says this is how you should always pray, but there's definitely something about this that shows a humility, it shows a recognition of who God is. And that's what happened with Paul. And so there's a position to prayer. 
Also, when I pray, it's not very personal. Also, when I pray, it's not very personal all the time. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Have you ever got, been praying for a while and realized that you sounded more like you're reading a grocery list than talking to somebody? There's a certain repetition of words. Lord, please be with. Lord, please be with. Lord, please be with. Lord, watch over. Lord, watch over. And please be with. And watch over this. And please be with this. And you know, bless this person. Be. At the end of my prayer, all I did was just share a grocery list with somebody. If my only communication with my wife was grocery lists, what kind of relationship would there be? Poor. Right? Notice that Paul prays to who? The Father. Like Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount, to pray to your heavenly Father. Like Paul taught in other places that we cry out to our Abba Father, like Daddy, right? To cry out to our Daddy, our Father. This is a personal thing. So there's a, there's a personal, personalness to prayer. And we need to have that. Now, there's an interesting phrase after this, uh, verse 15. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, every commentary I read had a different thought on what this means, right? That always makes it challenging to preach on something when nobody can agree on exactly what this means. But there is a general consensus to the idea of this. The word father, when he says, I bow my knees before the father, is the Greek word patros. The word family is the Greek word patria, right? Uh, a family to them was somewhat all the descendants of a father. And so a family was from a father, right? And that's how they thought of family. So it's not just talking about your biological family, uh, it just in general, but from this father, like Abraham is our father. And so we, this carries down. And the word, uh, the every family doesn't mean whole family. Some versions say whole family, but there's an extra word that's needed for it to mean the whole family. It means every family. And so this could mean a couple different things. It could mean the very idea of fatherhood comes from God. The very idea of what it means to be a father comes from God the Father. I think that's a great way to look at this, this particular thing. The very essence of fatherhood is from our God and Father. Uh, we could also look at it and we could say, well, that's... It means that every family, because notice this is every family in heaven and on earth. And so whether we have our local families, families of believers here, like at Edgewood, or we, there's families in other places, we're all calling out to the same Father. And notice this is on heaven or in earth. And so those people that have already gone and they're with Christ and they're in heaven, and those family units that are up there, they're with the Father already. Regardless of what this could mean, this is a personal prayer. A prayer with the idea of family in mind and the idea of a father in mind. Our prayers need to be personal to our father. But I'd be doing a poor job if I didn't talk about this next part and talk about the potential in prayer. Now I've left this picture up here for you because I want to talk about how pitifully small this is compared to something else. Now see, I could, I could have if I wanted to, and I almost did. I actually downloaded some pictures. I had them ready to go, and I'm like, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. I could have put up here pictures that, uh, of suns that make our sun look miniature. There are stars in the sky 
that dwarf our star down to nothing. Where if our, our sun was, was this microphone head right here, there are stars that would be as big as our planet compared to our star. And think about where we're at. And we've talked about those things here before. We watched a movie not too long ago where uh, the biggest star that they found is uh, Canis Majoris, which means big dog, which I think is a perfect name for a big star. But that's the comparison. I could, just, I could put that up there. Too. But you know what? Bottom line is, the thing that dwarfs it all is the power of the God that we serve. And if you read through Ephesians, you will see that the most glorious thing that God has done is not creating stars. It's not creating solar systems or planets. It's, it's not creating the universe. The most glorious thing that God has done is what He did in Christ. It's the thing that angelic beings long to look into and to study. It's a big thing. And Paul prays in this prayer for big things to happen. And what does he say? He says, I pray. He says that according to, or down from this, or according to this, just like this, that, that, that what I'm asking for is going to be in the same magnitude of this, and he uses this phrase, he says, that, that according to the riches of his glory. Now, the word glory means splendor or brightness. So imagine, I mean, that this, is, this is good enough for me to really get a picture of brightness. I mean, that very center of that. But try to remind yourself that the whole sun itself normally would be brighter than that, right? And you can't look at it. And so imagine that one explosion of power, the brightness that had to have been. Think about it. That point of power pales in comparison to what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm praying that God will grant you something that matches the, the riches. The word riches means abundance, overflowing abundance. The riches of God's radiance. That's what I'm praying for for you. And he's going to get into these requests. Now, we're not going to get into them today. Let me share what they are, though. The rest of this passage, and I'm going to put these up on the screen for you. The request, there's three basic requests that we're going to see. Uh, the first one there, he's going to pray for inner strength through the, the Spirit of God. And he's going to use a lot of big, powerful kind of words when he prays for this. And then he's going to pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts. What? See, we say that so flippantly, like it's no big deal. Paul's going to pray that Christ would dwell, would live in us. And then he prays for a third thing. He prays that we would be rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural picture, right? Rooted. Uh, grounded is kind of like an architectural example. That we would be rooted and grounded like a foundation in love. And the love he's talking about here is our love for each other. And then he prays for two results. The first one is the one that just blows my mind. If I let myself think about it, it blows my mind. He prays for comprehension. That, and the word comprehension means to grab a hold of it, like grasp it, like get it. And the thing he wants us to get is the love of And I put love of God, but it's about the love of Christ. And he uses some words. He says the, 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 the width and the 
the, the length and the, the, the height and the depth and everywhere you look, I want you to get Paul prays for. I want you to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. All knowledge. Everything in Wikipedia. Right? The love of Christ is beyond all of that. And Paul says, I want you to get it. I want you to comprehend it. And then he prays that you will be filled. Now, earlier you prayed that, you, that Christ would dwell in your hearts, but then he says, so that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is off his rocker. How could a human being be filled with the fullness of God? And yet Paul, he unashamedly goes before the Father and this is what he asks for. That you and me and him and us as Christians by faith in Christ would be filled with the fullness of God? These are, when you let yourself, you're not going to get it if you just look at it and go, okay, good, got my sermon for the week, let's move on. You're going to have to really think hard and think deep about what Paul is saying or you're going to completely miss it. There's a fullness of God and Paul's praying that we'll be filled with the fullness of God. After that, he closes with this doxology, this closing prayer where he says to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And so he says, I'm praying to a God that is beyond your wildest imaginations of what God can do. Beyond anything that you could ever, on your best, most imaginative day that you could ever have, where you were really thinking about God and you were digging deep and you were letting yourself think about how amazing God is, beyond anything that you could ever come up with or any Christian who's ever walked the planet could ever come up with, beyond all of our imaginations, beyond all of that, God is able to answer. This is a big prayer, isn't it? This is a big prayer. Let's hit some application of this. Let's start with this. Number one in our application. Let's find ways this week, right, to be moved, prompted, a cause, a reason to pray. Start reading your scripture. Go outside and look at nighttime up at the immenseness above you that God created all of that. And then start thinking about the words of Paul. The fullness of God. The God who can... Now, you know, some people wonder, why are the stars... I mean, why is so far away? Why is the closest stars millions of miles away? Why is this galaxy that's billions of light years across? And then then think about the The universe is even bigger than that. And it's just your mind can't grasp it. But the reason why the universe is so big is because if it was any smaller, it wouldn't do justice to the fact that it says God stretches out His arms. And He spreads out the universe. If the universe was any smaller, we wouldn't have a very good picture of who God is. The universe is big because God is big. So go outside and look at it and let yourself think about it. Let yourself think about it until your brain hurts. I know this is challenging. 
America is not built anymore on thinking big, deep thoughts. We want to think about basketball games and football games and, you know, who's the next American Idol and, and ridiculous, pathetic, small things when there's a big God. So put away all that stuff this week and think about who is God. Call out to Him as Father. Get on your knees and pray, God, don't let me miss who you are. This week, find ways to be moved to pray. But just so that this isn't confusing, I need to add this second point here. Don't wait to be moved. And I put that in quotes, it's time to get on your knees. Many of us grew up in churches where spiritual things that God did were connected to like an evangelist that came in and he preached a really powerful one. And man, I was so moved. I went up to the front and I got on the, the front altar and oh man, it was great. And so there's whole churches that are built on that philosophy that God moving you is this emotional, driven experience and we need a preacher to come up who's going to rant and rave even louder and preach the Word and so you can get moved to, to, to get on your knees that way. But that is not what the Bible teaches. This For this reason or for this cause, Paul's not talking about an emotional, <gasps> I need to get on my knees response. He's talking about instead... I've thought about who God is. And I know that the only right response right now as I think about God is to get on my knees. Don't fall trapped to the lie that says you have to have some emotional experience to repent. Repentance isn't about emotion. The word repent itself means to change your mind. It means to say, okay, I've heard the truth. I know what I need to do. I'm going to do it. I need to get on my knees this week. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a point to do it. I'm going to discipline myself. Like the Bible says, discipline yourself, Paul says, for the purpose of godliness. He wrote Timothy, he said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But discipline yourself. And the word discipline, you know what the word Greek word for discipline is? Gymnazo. Does it sound like gymnasium? That's because it's basically the same word. Exercise yourself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This week, don't wait to have some emotional experience. Don't go out and look at the stars and just wait to go, and then, okay, now I can pray, and it really means something. No. You know what God wants you to do. Do what God calls you to do. Number three, pray this week to your heavenly Father. The Father of all fathers, the true Father who does fatherhood correctly and rightly where all fathers of this planet have come up short. There is a Father who is God. And you can pray to Him. You can talk to Him. In the book of Hebrews, it explains a little bit in more detail how in the Old Testament there was the, the outer holy place and then there was the inner holiest of holies and only the high priest could go in there. But when Christ died on the cross, one of the things that happened when He died on the cross is that veil that separated those two things was ripped from top to bottom, signifying that the holiest of holies, the inner presence of God, you can enter into that. And the writer of Hebrews talked about how you can now enter in with boldness. Paul talked about it in chapter 3. 
uh, verse 12, he says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. You can now, because of what Christ did on the cross, you, because of Christ, can enter into the very presence of God. And you don't have to be perfect to do it. Christ's righteousness has been given to you so you can enter in with boldness and confidence. And get before Him. So I encourage you this week to pray to your Heavenly Father. Get on your knees and say, Father. Father. Don't bring a grocery list. Come to communicate with your Heavenly Father who is righteous and good. The storehouses of His righteousness and His mercy and His grace are infinite. Get on your knees and talk to Him. Cry out to Him. And finally, number four, and I, for lack of a better way to say it, I'm going to say pray gospel-sized prayers. Look how Paul prayed. It wasn't simplistic things. Think about how John prayed for Gaius. Not just for physical well-being, but the more important thing, the spiritual well-being of soul. Paul prays here. Paul prays in chapter 1. Look through the Word and, and find examples of how men who understood these things, how did they pray? Did they simply just go to God and say, God, I wish you'd do this stuff for me? No. Many of them prayed that they wouldn't miss it. Many of them praised God just for who He was and recognized that they have... If they've got God, they have everything. There's nothing I need besides Him. And they would pray that way. Lord, You're glorious and You're gracious. And if I just have You, I don't need anything else. But just have You. And like Paul prayed here for the people of Ephesus, he says, I'm going to pray that you'll comprehend and, and you'll understand. In chapter 1, he prayed for similar things. He prayed for knowledge and understanding. This week, pray gospel-sized, pray big prayers. Pray like Paul, that according to the rich abundance of God, the glorious radiance of God who created the universe, that, that, that holds this universe out in the span of His hands, that same God, pray that you will understand. Say, God, help me to understand and not miss who you are and what you've done. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to go through life with the most important things to be pitiful things, but Lord, I want to have a life that's dedicated to the big things of who you are. Pray big gospel-sized prayers this week. Pray gospel-sized prayers for other people. Those people that you're concerned about and worried about, pray gospel, big prayers for them as well. God, I pray that your spirit, your powerful spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead would infiltrate this person's heart. Before you leave today on your way out, look around you. Look at all the other people in this room. And this week, take mental note. I'm going to pray for this person, this person, this person. I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would be in that person working. And maybe, though I don't understand this, 
that the, they would be filled this week with the fullness of God. So you can pray that and not even know what it means because what does Paul say? He's able to do more than you even ask or imagine. Right? God is able to do more than you even imagine. So even if you imagine, man, I wonder what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. I bet it means that God can really just infiltrate that person's life. And it's even bigger than that, most likely. It's more than I can even imagine of what it is. And we have a God that is able to do that. Pray this week. Big, gospel-sized prayers. Pray to your Father. Pray for each other. Get on your knees this week. And pray to God. Let's start by praying right now. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you as a people, a group. Hopefully together we are part of your family. God, I pray that we would not miss any of this. Lord, as we look at your word next week and the week after that, in this amazing prayer that Paul had the audacity to pray for these kinds of things, Help us, God, to take that same boldness and confidence that we can come into you and ask for these same things. Help us to pray for each other and pray for for ourselves that we would comprehend the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, help us this week to get on our knees. I pray that you would move us and motivate us to do so. Lord, we pray this because of what Christ did on the cross. And it's only because of Him and only because of His righteousness and His glory that we can come to the Father and ask any of these things. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Alright, you are dismissed. I hope that you have a good week this week and you spend time on your knees. And next week we can share how we've gone to God and how we've communicated with our Father.